blessed be the name blessed be the name of our lord and savior christ jesus i hope you are doing well and uh, uh, welcome again and uh, to this rooftop herald uh, it's our thursday session uh, and i hope we shall be blessed all right i know some of you have been waiting for this podcast especially some of you who are following me on facebook uh, yeah we have hinted on on the subject that wanted to touch uh, for tonight so i hope you shall be blessed and i hope you are ready uh, for those questions you know uh, yeah they are more than welcome you can inbox you can whatsapp you can even respond uh, on this podcast and again i want to send my my gratitude to everybody that is actually uh, made time to listen first you know to listen to these podcasts that i'm sharing every thursday i hope they are a blessing uh, i hope they are a blessing and they are building you uh, in your faith you know i just want to to appreciate the fact that you 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 listen first and then you share this podcast with your friends families and loved ones and yeah that's the way to go thank you for spreading the gospel and uh, it's much appreciated it's much appreciated so we we're gonna do another exegesis today from the book of matthew all right i love the book of matthew um like we touched on it last week when we spoke about the sons of hell all right talking about the issues of the pharisees uh and the new covenant please listen to that podcast it's actually the last one i did um when you check on the rest of the podcast that i have on on this platform so yeah i hope you shall be blessed we're going to be visiting matthew 11 today matthew 11 uh, 19 and we're going to be touching uh, a very serious subject all right it's a controversial subject uh, but being controversial does not mean that it cannot be addressed, okay? Because the scriptures uh, have already highlighted uh, what needs to be done or how we need to conduct ourselves concerning ourselves concerning this uh, uh, this particular subject of drunkenness. All right? Yeah. So. Yes, uh, the word of God carries final authority. As you know, I'll never share with you anything until we pass there. The word of God carries final authority. It's greater than parental authority. It's greater than ecclesiastical authority. By ecclesiastical authority, I mean that the church is actually subject to the word and not the other way around. So all the apostles, all the prophets, and all the pastors, all the teachers, they are subject to the word okay we are not called to edit the word we are called to interpret the word especially in this generation we need to learn to accept and appreciate that these 66 books that our forefathers have canonized they are sufficient to give us uh, our salvation and eternal life and our relationship with god is solid there's nothing that is lacking uh, from these six, six books that we have in your Bible. So it carries final authority, uh, is greater than ecclesiastical authority, greater than political authority, okay, it's greater than democracy. Theocracy is greater than democracy. 
uh, is greater than you know your your academical authority all right to be learned in egyptian knowledge does not mean now that you have an understanding of the word those who have went to school and they've learned um you know secular knowledge should i call it or egyptian knowledge it does not mean now that um, the word of god is subject to you or you can be able to interpret the word automatically all right the word of god uh, is greater it has final authority it is um inerrant it is without error it is infallible we can put our head on the block concerning the word of god and it will surely 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 save us the word of god is greater than quran is greater than the midrash is greater than uh, you know the talmud jerusalem talmud or babylonian talmud it is the only book that carries truth it is the only book that carries higher truth okay yeah uh, it is the only book that is greater than any other book it is the only book that is eternal all right that carries both the written and the spoken word and that makes it to be the living word which is christ jesus all right so this word is alive all right so scripture must interpret scripture scripture must authenticate scripture scripture must complement supplement scripture okay the scriptures are plenary we preach everything in those scriptures in those 66 books all right and we preach it gracefully okay and that's another thing that we must note we preach it gracefully understanding uh, that we are under a particular covenant and we preach it covenantally in a sense that we we embrace and we acknowledge the covenant that god has for us you know as a generation and we preach it redemptively in a sense that um you know it's it's the work of redemption must be accomplished you know the work of the holy spirit in uh, in refining the church in in preparing the church for the for the groom it must come to pass the church must come to maturity ephesians 4:13 11 to 13 actually tells us that the fivefold ministry is there to actually uh equip the church for the work of the ministry so who does the ministry it is the church the church must actually do a uh, ministry all right so let's read that scripture uh, from the book of matthew uh, matthew chapter 11 um, i'm going to be very quick short uh, matthew 11 verse number 19 all right uh, we've already given a short background uh, last week concerning the book of matthew all right uh, it was written to the jews by disciple of jesus christ his name was levi he was well known as uh, um, matthew the tax collector right this book was written to the jews He is writing to the Jews in order to prove that Jesus is the Messiah and is using uh, their strategy or rather the format of being a scribe you know to to appeal to them so that they can uh, freely and soberly receive his letter or this epistle in order for him to communicate the message of Jesus being the Messiah so In Matthew 11 verse number 19 okay 
the son of man came eating and drinking and they say look a gluten and a wine biber a friend of tax collectors and sinners uh, but wisdom is justified by her children these are jesus words uh, speaking uh, to the crowd all right now i just want to be short all right here's what is happening if you start from um verse number one you'll realize that jesus is actually preaching to many cities all right he's preaching to the number of cities uh, preaching the gospel of uh, the living god actually jesus is the only preacher uh, that preached about himself because if he preached about the kingdom or the message of the kingdom he actually preached about himself he's the only one that has a right to speak about himself because he is god or he's the son of god and he's the messiah and the scriptures they are about him all right so we must learn from him as a preacher we don't preach ourselves we preach the word so yeah jesus is actually preaching to uh, these towns and villages and is going around so what happened is this is a very crucial time because now it was a time whereby you know the former had to 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 seize so that the the latter can now begin the latter glory the latter way of the lord can now uh, commence or start so we are talking about that time where the new testament uh, must now come into existence or replace uh, the old covenant all right and it's very funny actually uh, when you read the book of hebrews or the the new testament on how it overlooks the other covenants actually it uh, it includes them in one covenant to call it the covenant of the law okay but it's a story for another day because what happens is we talk about the Edenic covenant the adamic covenant uh, but the bible in the book of hebrews or in the new testament does not count all of that because all of those covenants they actually revealed within the covenant of the law which is the covenant of moses all right because it is moses that wrote the torah so for us to know about the adamic and the, and the Edenic covenant and so forth the other seven covenants we learn from and the torah okay most of them we find them in the torah but yeah so it is that time where there's going to be a distinction between the old covenant and the new covenant so the predecessor uh, of the message of the new covenant was actually uh, john the baptist all right john the baptist he was the last prophet he was the last messenger of the old covenant so what happened is here when uh, john heard that jesus is preaching he sent his two he sends his two disciples to go and ask whether Jesus is the Messiah. Can you imagine also uh, the fact that actually he's the one that baptized Jesus and he heard the voice from heaven saying this is my beloved son of whom I'm well pleased hear him. So he was the one uh, who was baptizing the Messiah who had the privilege of baptizing the Messiah and actually recognizing him as the son of men that take it away the sin of man you know but this time john the baptist not that he's confused i had a lot of presentations and preachers saying that john was actually confused well the bible does not really give us that uh, that 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 um, 
uh, thought rather you know but it's it's simply trying to tell us because remember uh, john was accustomed to the jewish traditions he was accustomed to the jewish laws on how they'll actually inaugurate kings there are actually four offices that god used in the old testament or even the new testament to govern mankind number one kings two prophets um and then uh, uh, judges all right and um Yes, priests, kings, prophets, uh, and judges. All right. So these four offices. Every time uh, a person will be a part of the leadership as a king, that particular person will be inaugurated by means of pouring oil upon that particular person. So the oil is that Messiah. All right. So the Jews. Actually, that is where that is where the most uh, contention is between Christianity and the Jews in terms of understanding uh, or believing that Jesus is the Messiah. Because to the Jews, if you look at any king of Israel that was once anointed by the prophets of God, that particular king is actually the Messiah of the Lord. For instance, they take King David. If King David was anointed by Samuel as the king by the use of oil, David is the anointed of God. So if you say to the Jews, uh, Jesus is the anointed one or Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah. They, they do believe partially, but they don't believe him to be the son of God or the one that must actually rule and then and, and govern everything and take over the world as a king or equal to God. You see, that is where we differ. So to, to John the Baptist, okay, to John the Baptist, this was not a... Uh, uh, his confusion or a state of confusion when he asked actually whether Jesus is the Messiah. All right. Uh, he knew that in the Jewish culture, as I explained historically, any king that will be actually inaugurated by the use of oil, that person will be the Messiah. So uh, John is asking a, a, a definite question, a clear question, a very reasonable question rather to say, if you are the Messiah, then where are the signs? Then Jesus is responding and stuff like that. Then it goes down. And in this, also in this account, okay, there is a, um, a record of Jesus actually giving honor to the ministry of John, all right, giving honor to the ministry of John and recognition to the ministry of John. Uh, actually, I've listened to a tape, uh, not a tape, a YouTube uh, video by Muruti Kabelo Morocco talking about the ministry of John of how on how Jesus has actually affirmed and confirmed John to be a, a man that was sent from God. You see, it's very interesting. Listen to it from YouTube. So Jesus is affirming John here to be the messenger of the Lord. So he's preaching to the crowd. He's not only the disciples. He's preaching to uh, people. It could be anybody. It could be anybody because remember the Bible says in verse 1 was preaching to the crowd. So this crowd, it could be a mixture of people who are just unlearned people. They're not like the Pharisees, you know, who have learned the laws and stuff like that. So there is a particular reputation, okay, that they have of the servants of God. So as, as Jesus was busy preaching, he's actually reciting what the crowd or the popular um belief of who john was all right and then he's talking about himself also to say now yeah i came uh, i mean when john came he did not eat or drink but uh, they said he's the devil or he has the spirit of the evil one you know 
so yeah so when the son of man came eating and drinking um and they also blamed him to be you know a babbler and a cluton you know sitting with the publicans and stuff like that so we're going to look at that verse later on but i want us to focus again on this issue of drunkenness all right and then we're going to wrap it just there so you know glutony and drunkenness they are cousins okay and many other sins they they are on the same jar or the same bottle but we'll touch on that later on now this is a very controversial issue okay is it okay for a christian to drink okay is it okay for a christian to have uh, just one glass of wine okay these are just common questions that we have even in our time okay some people believe that there's nothing wrong with having just a glass of wine and the bible is against actually drunkenness so we're going to have to look at these issues from uh, the scriptural perspective all right now this is a controversial issue like i said it is it's controversial you know we we don't have the same balances uh, of understanding when it comes to it yet it will take every controversial issue uh, needs one or demands one to have time and do a very comprehensive study you know as far as the word of god uh, on the word itself you know the word wine the word drunkenness and all of that so it's it, it's a process it's a process for one to have a proper presentation of what the bible really says you know and concerning that particular subject so here's the thing i'm going to give you not really an overview but these are just the nuggets and i'll give you perhaps a pattern on how to uh, actually distinguish or rather um, uh, detect the will of god concerning wine okay before we talk about the sin of drunkenness i mean everybody is aware that drunkenness is a sin but is it okay for us to take wine all right so that is where uh, i'm basing my my presentation for today now here's the thing like i said drunkenness is the issue uh, not necessarily the wine okay but remember you become drunk because of the wine so there are there are reasons let's look at the old testament there are many reasons why uh, there was a use of um, of wine in the old testament all right for instance the wine was actually a symbol of a blessing okay when i say a symbol of a blessing you remember in the book of deuteronomy chapter number 11 verse 14 uh, the bible says that god will bring us the latter rain which is a summer rain and a former rain which is the winter rain together at once and the the land will have wheat and corn and and wine was also involved so without us having you know a religious uh, spectacle uh, on on that verse let's rather take it as literal first let's apply the literal principle yes they did have rain and when it rained yes the vineyards will will blossom and stuff like that and then they'll be able to produce wine so that they can be able to sell it okay so it's for economic reasons all right so as a blessing when we look at wine as a blessing from the lord we are looking at it in a form of a business okay it has to be an issue of trading okay that actually is revealed in the book of Deuteronomy okay another aspect of wine that is revealed in the old testament wine was used for spiritual reasons 
okay and when i say spiritual reasons i'm trying to show you that the use of wine in the old testament god has allowed it so that it can carry a particular spiritual uh, significance for instance we have key people like melchizedek who was the first priest to be mentioned and the last priest to be mentioned in scripture melchizedek he offered bread and wine okay we can't be carnal about it because we know that this wine is actually a representative of a representative or a symbol of the blood of jesus christ so for spiritual reasons god has accommodated the use of wine so that he can communicate to us with the language or which with with a language of types and shadows and allegories and similitudes blah 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 another reason for us to have wine okay but before we get there there's a point that i wanted to mention um oh yes uh, for instance the issue of noah okay noah planted the vineyard he was drunk and then regeneration happened from there i don't care uh, what reasons you can actually have uh, for uh, or entertain for noah to to be drunk however after God has destroyed the world with the flood there were eight people that were remaining it was Noah, Ham, Shem, Japheth and their wives okay so there were eight people remaining and the generations had to start from from him and so forth so the issues of uh, Noah uh, cursing his grandson okay there are a lot of um, there's a lot of theories or submissions concerning that however I also want to say or subscribe to the one that actually says um it was the son of Noah that slept with the wife of Noah hence Noah cursed the son and he never cursed his son he cursed his grandson okay which is the seed of his son so the probability and the possibilities um uh, of whatever that has happened transpired when Noah was drunk is the fact that when he was drunk his son slept with his mother and his mother was pregnant hence he cursed the son well it's just it's just the way uh, in which uh, that particular theory is presented because there's a language in which the hebrew or the hebraic people will actually present a thing okay for instance if um if we say now we take that verse i'm going higher higher and deeper oh lord jesus look if we use or we take that verse i know i believe in trinity bazalan i believe in trinity um i believe in trinity okay make no mistake there is trinity okay and that verse that says come let us make man in our own image all right come let us make man in our own image come let us the plurality there of us okay i know some people they use it to prove trinity but also if you look at the literacy context or the 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 language that is used on how the the language was used in the hebraic culture you'll understand that it was actually a form of honor and respect of actually bringing a communication about somebody who's higher in authority for instance in our zulu culture if 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 you were sent by your mom to go and call your father who's actually somewhere next door you'll not get there and say baubiza or bayakubiza kai you say bayakubiza in plurality or yes you bring that um plurality in your language to so say your bayakubiza as if like there are many people who are calling him and only to find that is only the mother 
okay it's just a language of honor okay come let us make men it does not really mean that there were three people or god was preaching to himself or having a meeting in a bathroom okay yeah well it's a story for another day but with the notion of noah or with that presentation of noah actually i i like william marshall's uh, uh, presentation also to say that it was the grandson okay it was the grandson of um, of noah that was actually cursed and noah uh, uh, actually Noah's son slept with his mother yeah but you shall entertain that for another time for another day anyway yeah so Noah there was also an issues of drink offerings that were done Exodus 29 verse 40 uh, so that was actually uh, uh, you know a, a significance of the life of Jesus that it will be a life poured forth if you poured out a drink offering which was wine all right remember that this wine will actually be fermented for three days actually a common uh, use of wine it will be preserved for three days so after it has been taken from the wine press they'll keep it in a jar for three days and it will ferment in three days this talks about uh, the resurrection of our lord and savior when he was crucified and died on the cross and resurrected on the third day so when you pour it on the ground it will be a sort of a waste or a wasted wine which symbolized a wasted life of jesus christ so there's a spiritual significance of this wine in the old testament then the feasts as well they were celebrated with wine long story so another reason for the use of wine in the old testament was for cultural reasons okay now the cultural reasons it dragged okay all cultures have adopted uh, the use of wine you find that the kings were using wine in feasts and all of that uh, until the days of jesus christ all right when we find the story in the book of um John chapter 2, Jesus in the wedding of Cana of Galilee, they ran out of wine, all right? Historical account will actually reveal to you that uh, the Jewish weddings will actually take a week to celebrate. So they actually ran out of wine. So the question is, did Jesus really make wine? Yes, Jesus did make wine, okay? He did make wine and people were drunk, okay? And um, the significance that we see in uh, in that scenario we we learn that jesus was actually a hundred percent god and hundred percent man he was hundred percent man in a sense that he had to obey his mother okay in the natural but as god he had to make a miracle about the wine that was supposed to to be kept you know uh, for three or four days before it ferments but jesus wine became the best wine actually just by uh, having it on 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 instant you know mode or availability so there's power there okay but does that now justify the fact that there's nothing wrong with uh, us making wine or producing wine i'll tell you this jesus was living in the old covenant the old covenant was still in existence he has never been in the cross yet so he had to that is why he had to go to the temples or the synagogues and he had to observe sabbath and do things on sabbath that actually uh, are actually contradicting uh, to what the the pharisees believed so the works of the cross were not yet as finished he had not yet preached uh, raised discipleship and stuff like that and went to the tomb 
Okay, so he was accustomed to the culture. Hence, he was also circumcised on the eighth day and things like that. He was accustomed to the culture of the Jews. So we can use that scripture to say or to justify ourselves in having wine just because Jesus had wine. There are many things that Jesus did uh, under the law. That does not mean that we ought to do them. Okay, if we attended uh, the synagogue on Sabbath, that does not mean we ought to go to church on a Saturday. All right, there's a, there's a higher significance on what he has allowed actually to happen in his days. All right, especially concerning the wedding uh, of the Cana of Cana of Galilee. Yeah, another reason for having wine, okay, in the Old Testament was for personal reasons. All right, um. Yeah, the book of Proverbs 23 does talk about the use of wine, but also uh, it's mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, that they actually, Paul was actually talking to Timothy to use a little bit of wine so that he can be able to, um, to, to survive whatever that he was going through or bring, that wine will bring actually a relief or a healing in his body. All right, so it was for medicine purposes and stuff like that. So, yeah, now... I know that there's a lot there's a lot of scriptures that are actually talking about wine. Okay, here's my closure. Here's my closure. Here's my closure because of time. There are a lot of scriptures that are actually talking about wine. Okay? And um how then do we come up to a final conclusion to say is it okay for one to take wine or not? All right. So here's a solution. All right. Here's a solution. Remember there's what you call a rational contrast when you study scriptures or the principle of uh, uh, the principle of um, explaining scripture, the art and the science of explaining scripture. You'll realize that when you do uh, a contrast, you're actually comparing verses that are actually talking about the same subject. So this principle of rational contrast will teach you that actually it does not even avoid or uh, stop you from doing contextual principle, cultural principle on each verse. But what we call a rational contrast is actually two verses or more verses that are talking about the same subject, but yet they are sounding contradictive. Okay. For instance, there's a scripture, I think it's Isaiah 58, where God is rebuking the Israelites on how they fast. Okay, and then he's telling them the, the type of a fast that he's looking for, that they must give to the poor and share whatever that they have. Okay, give to the poor and share whatever that they have. All right. Um, this does not cancel the effect that fasting has to do with one, you know, depriving himself food, for instance. Okay, so the rational contrast is there to actually reveal the heart of God and the standards of God in terms of morality, holiness, and righteousness. So the reason why we do a rational contrast in scripture is so that we can find in the will of God concerning that particular subject. In other words, when we have failed to get an understanding on a particular subject, we are looking for the weight of scripture the weight of scripture concerning that subject by comparing these two scriptures, not based on their culture, not based 
on their historical account, but based on the density and the heaviness of God, which is found in his holiness, which is found in his standards for morality and righteousness. All right. So the reason, for instance, if the Bible talks about the earth being eternal, the book of Ecclesiastes will tell you that the earth is eternal. Okay. This does not mean now that um, uh, the, that scripture that talks about uh, what Jesus says, heaven and earth shall pass away, is actually cancelling the other one in the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, when you when you do rational contrast to check what is the Lord trying to say here, you can realize that the the new covenant or what Jesus has said concerning the earth is more heavier than the one that is actually been said in the book of Ecclesiastes because its concern it, it its concern is more on people's a standard of living in terms of morality and living right because here's the truth even if the earth gets destroyed as long as you are righteous and holy you shall see god even if when the earth remains forever if you are holy and righteous uh, that will not affect you anyhow so the the rational contrast is there to reveal that the standards of god concerning that particular matter i hope i make sense the issues of the tabernacles okay is what i've also discovered it is god who actually told moses that uh yeah the tabernacles uh, he called bazaliel and aholiab he built them with their hands and through their wisdom and stuff like that but in the new covenant god says i do not dwell in temples that are made with hands does that now contradict what he has said in the past that he's dwelling in the tabernacle and he must build it according to the pattern and he shall dwell in there you know it's not it's not that god is against himself but he's trying to show us that there is we have fallen in terms of the morality standard that he has set in terms of holiness okay and righteousness all right so in this subject of the wine okay how then do we detect the the because we know that that wine, Bazalwan, wine uh, is the main cause for intoxication, which leads to drunkenness. Okay, so drunkenness is a sin, and it comes because of the reason of this particular thing called wine. So, the Bible does talk about wine. So we need to take every scripture that talks about wine, and then what we do is the scriptures that are for wine we also read them maybe put them on your left let me give an exercise put them on the left hand side of your page and the and the scriptures that are talking against wine put them on the right hand side of um, of your page and begin to read so that you can detect where the heart of god is or the uh, the will of god is concerning that particular thing Right, so a rational contrast helps us to detect the the moral standard uh, that God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be righteous. Okay, so will it help you as uh, as a brethren or as a believer to take wine? How will that benefit your faith? Okay, it does not help you anyhow. The Bible is against it. But how will it benefit you if you live and not take wine at all? It will help you because it will not weaken you or tempt you, okay, or bring a temptation for you to, to be drunk, okay? So you are shying away from evil, just like Job, okay? You must learn to shun, to shy away from evil. He shunned evil, that's what the Bible says. So not taking wine, it is the will of God, okay? Because taking wine 
it's actually putting you in a place of a temptation. Two, you are helping the brother that is actually uh, forming part of those who are called the drunkards. So if he sees a believer drinking wine, he'll also be tempted to drink wine. And out of his weakness, he can be a drunkard. Okay, so it is more of an advantage. Okay, it is more of an advantage and it is more of the will of God. Okay, in terms of his standard of holiness and righteousness, not to take wine. To tell the truth, there's more weight in scriptures uh, against wine than scriptures that are for wine. So the will of God will is actually camping in not taking wine. If you don't believe me, you can read um, the following scriptures. Romans 14, 21, Ephesians 5, 18, even the deacons and the bishops they were not supposed to take wine. The Bible does not say they should not be drunkards. It says they should not even touch wine. Okay, I'm talking about wine, taking wine, not being a drunkard. So these scriptures that I'm reading to you, they are against wine. Romans 14, 21, Ephesians 5, 18. Okay, and taking wine goes along with fornication as well. Okay, it goes along with um, a lot of other sins. Okay, which were also the practices of um, of the Gentiles. The Gentiles, they never knew God, so they were actually drunkards. So that uh, debauchery behavior from, 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 uh, from the Gentiles is also accommodated within the, the, the use of wine. Okay, so drunkardness and fornication and all of these other sins, they are counted in one umbrella. Okay, so 1 Timothy 3.3 3 is talking to the deacons, First uh, Timothy 3.8 First Timothy 1.7 is talking to the bishops and I'm still talking about taking wine not being drunk taking wine and being a drunkard two different things here the scriptures are against taking wine alright Revelations 14 verse number 8 Okay, the wine there is actually a symbol of fornication like I said 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 6.10 1 Corinthians 5.11 and then on drunkenness, you can read Romans 13, 13, 1 Corinthians 11 on Holy Communion. Let me close with this one because this podcast is too long now. Um, okay, the table of the Lord, the Eucharist, okay, the bread and the wine of the Lord. Paul was rebuking the church in Corinth because some of them, they came without discerning the body. What does that mean? When they came for a feast, remember when they were having the communion or holy communion, it was actually supper. Okay, it was food, Barcelona. It was real food, and uh, it was not biscuits like tennis biscuit and there's a glass of wine there. No, it was real food. It was a feast. Okay, so people will come and actually eat. When Jesus did holy communion uh, in the book of uh, or the Gospels. Right, it was a supper, okay, supper, and it was real food. So, fortunately, he took the bread. <laughs> fortunately, he took the wine. Okay, he could have taken the meat if it was there, but he took the bread. That is why he also following the same steps. He took the bread and he took the wine, you know, and as a symbol that we do this in his remembrance. So, what happened is in Corinth. Corinth, they were very corrupt people. They were poor people. Most The population of the Corinthian church, they were very poor. So what happens is when they had Holy Communion uh, during those supper days, they'll actually come to eat and to fill their stomachs. Okay, So they were glutons. 
grand grand so jesus or paul was actually addressing that uh, that state to say now they need to descend the body okay they need to descend the body and he continues to say that uh, you cannot eat in the table of the lord and the table of uh, of the demons the table of the demons it refers to people who are drunkards they eat the same food but not to descend the body they drink the same wine not to descend the body but to get drunk and to be glutons so if you continue as a christian and you continue to take wine and you're not doing it for the recognition of his blood okay the recognition of the redemption uh, the work of redemption then already you are partaking uh, you are partaking in the table of the demons. So we must descend the body. My view is this, Bazalane, the weight, the weight of God's will, the weight of God's glory, the weight of uh, God's holiness and righteousness is actually camping against wine, not for wine. So we must follow the will of God, lest we are deceived. God bless you. I hope this podcast will be a blessing to you. And let me know what you think. In Jesus' mighty name, may God help you if you are struggling with wine. You are not cursed. You are blessed. Just shy away. Just leave the thing and continue to serve God. You won't die. All right? The Bible does talk about us. Uh, you know, do not be drunk in wine, but be drunk by the Spirit. So the exact um, replacement of wine is the Spirit of God. If you can be in the Spirit, there's no need for you to have wine because the same effects that you get from wine you can get them out of the spirit if you don't believe me you can ask Hannah. you can ask those that were uh, in the day of pentecost when the spirit came the bible said these are drunk these people are drunk when 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 eli saw Hannah, he said she was drunk so we can partake of the things of the spirit in the same level we'll partake of the wine so this is hypocrisy to say you're just taking just one class and you don't want to get drunk because the purpose of drinking wine is actually to intoxicate, all right? Even in the Old Testament, they'll take that so that they can be intoxicated. So if you say it's not for intoxication, why are you taking it? Why are you addicted to it? Why do you love it so much, okay? There has to be a spiritual. If you can quit Fanta or quit Coke, you can also quit wine right and dwell in the things of the spirit god bless you oh jesus amen and amen and amen sorry for a long podcast